Welcome to Big Boy Church. Welcome to the Big Boy Church podcast, where we have lighthearted conversations about heavy and serious conversations. Uh, my name is Pastor Nate Trawick, and I am joined once again with my co-host, Pastor Chris Porter. That's me, Pastor Chris Porter. Glad to be Stop. here, Nate. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, where are you finding these audio clips? I can't tell you. It's my it's my secret, man. That's, that's how I roll. <laughs> You've been doing this. We've been trying to get this thing rolling for about five, ten minutes now, and he's been playing nothing but audio clips the whole time. So, uh, But it's all good. So, Chris, today, last week, we talked about confessionalism. Uh, it's a big word. Uh, it's a big boy church word. Um, and today, we're going to be talking about Baptist. Uh, Harvest is an unashamedly Baptist church, right? Yeah, we are Baptist by the sign, Baptist by confession, Baptist by the bulletin. We are as Baptist, hopefully, God willing, as Baptist can get. So is Harvest Church ever in the future? Negative. Negative. We won't talk about what the actual tax ID title is of Harvest yeah, what happened there, Chris? Um, so Harvest Baptist Church was actually already taken. Mm. So we are Harvest. If if you ever, I guess, want to write a legal check to us, it'd be Harvest Baptist Evangelical Church LTD. Period. Mm. That sounds like a mega church somewhere with like really bad theology. <laughs> you but, know, that might be us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so Baptist. What uh do you have the note shared so I can look at it? Or can you send it to me? Text it to me really quick so we can both be looking at what's what's going on. Sure, buddy. Um but today we're going to be talking about uh why Baptist. Um I think today there's a lot of people who maybe don't understand what it means even to be Baptist other than it has something to do with some water. Um but um I think to start um, we, uh, are going to have some denominational thoughts, a little bit of a lightning round format here. Um, I'm going to take a, about a minute or so, 30 seconds to, um, I'll throw out a denomination. You say 30 seconds and I'll say 30 minutes. Just the first things that come to your mind. 30 minutes or 30 seconds? 30 seconds. Okay. Did I say 30 minutes? You did. That would take all day. So when you hear that sound. Ah, that's time the, up. that's the time up. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, now it needs to be said. This is the Big Boy Church Podcast. This is lighthearted conversations. These are the first things that come to our mind. Uh, please do not take offense. This is just our first reaction to these statements. So, okay, so um, we'll both get to respond to both. And these yeah. are church denominations. So, yes. And what we say may not be correct. This hmm. is just our... It, but hopefully we'll say things that we believe to be correct. This is our truth. Mm. We're going to be speaking our truth. This right? is the most postmodern thing we'll ever do on this podcast. Yeah. You know, if you want to know... Yeah, postmodernism. There we go. No, uh, but yeah. So you're going well, every denomination. Just thirty seconds of what comes to your mind when you think of this denomination, mm. and because what, what we're getting at is we just we we're not non-denominational. Mm. Kind of though, we'll talk about that at the end. How Southern Baptist is not a denomination but a convention, but how that's kind of a denomination but not really. So we'll talk about that. We'll get there. And independent Baptists, and mm. that's where we're going. Okay. Mm. So all right. So we're going to name a denomination. You go first. You get thirty seconds. About I go that. first. Yeah, you go okay. first, and then I'll I'll talk about the same one, and then next minute, next thirty seconds, I'll go first. Then you go on the same mm. topic. That makes sense. 
Yeah, can we talk about your spelling of the second one when we get there? I mean, sure, they can't see this. This is not also <laughs> on uh, YouTube. This is a, a low-budget kind of podcast. I'll put a screenshot in the notes for everybody to look at Chris's spelling of Presbyterian, um, Presbyterian there. Um, <laughs> go ahead and make fun of me. Whatever, Nate. Sorry. Sorry. You're having way too much fun with that. I need to take that power away from you. All right, so hit me with the first one. Ready? Yeah. Methodist. Ooh. Uh, sprinkling. Baptism. Uh, uh, it's not 10 seconds. It's 30 seconds. Form, you can form yeah, thoughts. So, uh, Complete sentences. All that kind of thing. Methodism. Uh, John Wesley. Uh, uh, weird polity, frankly. Um, pastors change frequently. Um, liberal drift is another word that comes to my mind. Um but also conservative resurgence, hopefully, maybe. We'll see how that ends up. Um, and uh, a confirmation is another thing that comes to my mind when I think about Methodist. Okay. So, yeah. Very good. All right. Methodist. When I think of Methodist, I first go to John Wesley, a conservative history, mm. missional history, um, very Sunday school, really. I mean, really kind of come from the Methodist movement. It really is a movement. Kind of, it comes out of the holiness movement that John Wesley kind of was in and a part of. Um, as far as church history goes, from the holiness movement comes the Methodist movement. And from the Methodist movement really comes the Pentecostal movement. But so all of, all of that being said, I think conservative historically, and still today a lot of historical conservative faithful Methodists, good brothers and sisters in the Lord. All right. There you go. Very good. Yep. Next one. Presbyterian. Go. I always get this confused. In the in America, there's a Presbyterian denomination that's very liberal. Which one is it, Nate? PCUSA. PCUSA. There's also a conservative Presbyterian. PCA. PCA. Um, and there's others. Yes. I think... I mean, there's other denominations you're saying Presbyterian, but Presbyterianism as a whole, I think of Westminster Presbyterians. I think of John Calvin. Um, kind of the father of the Presbyterian movement, John Knox. I mean, I think of Scottish Presbyterians, um, which is a Presbyterian nation. I think of all the faithful. I think of Sinclair Ferguson. I think of Derek Thomas. I think of so many right. good brothers in the Lord. Hmm. Cool. There you go. Good 30 and seconds. baby baptism. No, time, time's up. Pedo baptism. Time's up. That, yeah. You don't get to say that. Time. Okay. I'm sorry. Right. Your turn. Go. All right. Uh, when I think of Presbyterianism, I think of the phrase almost right. Um, they're so close <laughs> to having it right. Um, uh, I think I've joked about it before, but, uh, but, uh, if it wasn't for several key doctrines, I would probably be Presbyterian. Um, I think a lot of, like you said, uh, some of our favorite, uh, I know my favorite, um, people to listen to preach are Presbyterian. Um, I think of, um, sound theology, deep theology, uh, when it comes to Presbyterianism, um, a high value in that area. Um, I think of uh, baby baptism, like you said, um, and uh, John Knox as well. That's kind of where my brain goes. All right. You ready for the next one? Yeah. Non-denominational. What does that mean is the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> what in the world do you mean by non-denominational? Uh, bright lights, big cameras, big auditorium, 12 services on Sunday. 
um, parking lot with shuttles to get you across the street. Six flags over Jesus. Six flags over Jesus. Absolutely. That's a phrase from my wife. I'm taking. Um, Yeah. uh, Very shallow. um, Come as you are. uh, (laughs) People wearing matching T-shirts in the lobby. Um, (laughs) Starbucks has a licensed location in the lobby. Um, I'm not really sure if you're talking about most Southern Baptist churches at this point <laughs> or non-denominational That's kind churches. of the point. <laughs> oh, I, see. I see. I think my time's up. <laughs> uh, yeah, your time's up. Um, all right, so non-denominational. Sissy? No, maybe we should cut that out. No, I, what I mean by that is you're not really sure. They're, they're, they don't want to affiliate mostly with any any other movements in church history. They want to be a totally new thing. Mm-hmm. Not They think denominations is a bad thing. That's why they are non-denominational. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like community churches kind of thing, which not all community churches are non-denominational. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think uh, seeker-friendly mm-hmm. in not a good sense. That was 30 seconds almost exactly. Yeah. That was expertly done there, Chris. Yay. All right, next. What you got? Uh, is it my turn to go first? Oh, yeah, it is. So next one is uh, Lutheran. Secretly wish I was one. Ah. Yeah, Lutheranism. Um, just because of Luther, I mean, you think about church history, how great uh, of a saint Martin Luther is that he got a whole denomination named after him. Mm. I don't know of any other, um, you know, um, there's the Wesleyan movement, so John Wesley kind of got that in the Methodist, but it's kind of more Methodist than Wesleyan that kind of come mm. later. So, I mean, Lutherans were Lutherans while Martin Luther was alive. Mm. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Um, swans. I mean, most of the pulpits are in swans. Um, crazy Lord's Supper doctrine, closed communion though. Uh, faithful brothers. Uh, you should probably read more mm. Lutherans than you are. Mm. Very cool. All right. Lutheranism. Go. Uh, diet Catholicism. That's always kind of my go-to statement with Lutheranism. What does that mean? Uh, it's like almost Catholic, but without the seriousness. Uh, not not the seriousness. Because it definitely has like, high church, um, uh, very, very um, uh, formal um, style of worship. High church. Um, high church, yeah. But like, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. It's, smells um, and bells. Smells and bells. Um very uh, intellectual. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. The the Lutherans that I know are very, very bright, intellectual people. Um, but like some weird doctrines there. Um, a lot like Luther, just kind of like floating on the fence, like uh, sacraments, the views there, kind of weird. Um, baptism, like you said, weird. Um, but uh, as close to Catholic as you can get without being heretical. Oh, that's very interesting. Your views of Lutherans. All right. Um, you're ready? Yeah. Pentecostal. Uh, um, running around, uh, disorderly, um, very, very excited, um, care deeply about holiness and um, personal sanctification, um, very odd views on the Holy Spirit and baptism and the baptism of the Spirit and the second birth and all that. Don't understand that. Um, Azusa street, a big thing that comes to mind. Um, influence comes to mind. I mean, I think most churches today that people would say is a church that they recognize those names are probably all Pentecostal Mm. or at least mostly Pentecostal. Um, and books. Um, they sell a lot of really bad books. Sell bad books. Mm. Oh, interesting. Uh, Pentecostal. I think we have a lot to learn actually Pentecostals. Mm. I think missional. I think they're probably, they do, mm-hmm. they are amazing missionally. They are amazing missionally. They get things done missionally. Um, Pentecostals, 
um, are continuationists. Think about that when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I think very passionate people um, think that the church should be alive and moving, which I think we have a lot to learn from there. Um, good friends in the gospel, hmm. you know, agree a lot in the gospel. Um, yeah. And uh, however, maybe get outside the bounds of scripture and prophecy and all that kind of thing hmm. a little bit more than they should. Cool. Yep. Very good. Uh, last one. Seventh day Adventist. Heretics. Oh, sorry. Is that too too much? Wow. That was bold. Um, and I mean by that, uh, Seventh day Adventist by doctrine, believe if you're not part of the Seventh day Adventist church, you're not a Christian. Hmm. Roman Catholic Church also believes that. I think it's very cultish. Um, yeah. So Seventh day Adventist, I think of history come out of. You know, same time Jehovah's Witness coming out, expecting the return of Christ tomorrow, sell everything, you know, get ready, mm. drink the Kool-Aid. Um, also, I mean, Seventh Day, they really want to go back to the Sabbath being on a Saturday, and they miss the Christian Sabbath doctrine of the Bible. Cool. Man, I wish I had something good to say. Mm. Sorry. So Seventh Day Adventist for me, uh, just thinking about it, like really weird legalistic doctrines. Uh, what little experience I've had with Seventh Day Adventist. Um also, really bad camp experience. I went to a really bad youth camp at a Seventh-day Adventist campground. Really? It was a Baptist-done camp at a Seventh-day Adventist campground. And what I mean by really weird uh, legalistic leanings is they didn't have coffee or any caffeinated beverages because they believe that caffeine is a drug and like you can't use it. But Cold. Uh, yeah, weird. Um, Mormonism <clears throat> and Seventh-day Adventist parallels we're making here. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, obviously, the Saturday thing, worship on Saturday. Um they must not like college football. I don't know if you can be a college What's football What's up with fan. that? I know, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I really don't truthfully know that much about Seventh-day Adventists beyond mm. they worship on Saturday. Yeah. Um, they do kind of lean towards cult-ish leanings with their, you know, you've got to be a part of us to be um, a Christian. And then also just some of their, like, weird things that they just pick and choose. Like, we're going to hang our hat on not drinking caffeine. Not sure about that. <laughs> All right. So, now, let's jump. To bab- Baptist polity, Baptist. Baptist. We are Baptists, as we were talking about. Mm. All right. So, Nate, when you think about being Baptist, why are you personally a Baptist? Um, no, I, I think for me personally, being a Baptist, um, I think thankfully, by the grace of God, I was raised Baptist. Um, I think God and His grace. Um, but you were baptized as a baby in a Methodist church? Uh, this is true. My parents did do that. My mom was raised Methodist. Um, and then, uh, we always went to Baptist churches though growing up. Um, but in thinking about now, like currently, why am I a Baptist? Um, there's just so much, uh, that the Baptists get right. Um, I think, uh, there's a lot that we need to work on. Um, and a lot that if we lose focus on the Bible that we will miss in the future. Um, but when I think about what Baptists have been historically, Um, and what they believe when it comes to uh, church polity, as well as uh, baptism, obviously, um, and also just the the heritage that they have of being uh, people of the book. Hmm. Um, To me, that's the the big things that stand out. Yeah. So we mentioned some of these denominations, our little lightning rounds, what's Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostals. I mean, other denominations that I want to be quick to say are Lutherans, Brothers and sisters in the Lord, mm. we believe to be Christians if they hold mm. to the doctrines of their church. Yeah. Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
But when it comes to certain things, right, you kind of got to divide over, like, are we going to baptize children or not? Hmm. Not a first-tier issue. Maybe not a second-tier issue. Hmm. But, hey, like, are we going to do it or not? You know, so you kind of got to make some decisions on those things. Yeah. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, are we going to speak in tongues or not? You know, are we going to uh, allow people to prophesy in service or not? So hmm. all that, you know, uh, you know, kind of comes to a head. You kind of make a decision on it. may not be a first-tier issue, but you kind of got to make a decision. So... Yeah, so I think Baptists have it right, as far as I can tell, when it comes to baptism. Um, I would definitely want to go in in every cheerful, charitable kind of way and say that in the New Testament, those that are baptized are believers. Hmm. And those in the church are believers in the church. Those who are thrown out of the church are thrown out because they seem not to be believers. Hmm. Those allowed in the church seem to be baptized because they are Christians who confess Christ. Um, you know, when Jesus asked Peter, who do you believe that I am? It was that confession. So in that confession, I will build my church. Mm. So it seems that his church is built on the confession of those that confess him as Lord. Mm. I don't know how a baby can do that. I think the doctrine of original sin, that people are born in sin, um, that they're born in sin. And until the Lord does, um, in his grace, give them the new birth, they have no right to be part of the church. Mm. So I think Baptist polity closely to the connected to church membership and baptism gets it right. Hmm. Uh, and I'm not necessarily talking about dunking or sprinkling, but I think the scripture is clear. Dunking is the, is the new Testament method and it's officially a scripture. Hmm. So yeah. Sure. Cool. So I think um, we both said some things in common there. A lot of about polity, a lot about um, baptism. Um, I think it'd be helpful just to kind of go through some of those things and think about um, what is it about, what Baptists say about those things um, that you and I hold and that Harvest holds um, and that we hope that if you're listening, you hold. Um, or we'll find a church that does. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Uh, these things as, as biblical. So um, the first thing we have down is regenerate church membership. Um, when I think about Baptist doctrine, in my mind, that is like the cornerstone doctrine of what it means to be corporately Baptist. What do you think? Absolutely, yeah. That... Um, well, Credo Baptists baptize those who profess Christ. Mm. And those entered into the church are those that confess Christ. And historically, those that are baptized are those in the church. So there's a modern idea that people would be baptized and not part of the church. And that's an odd doctrine. That doesn't seem to find much home in the scriptures or in church history, actually. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, absolutely. I think that, I think that, gets, it, that gets it right there. I'm, I'm, I'm good with your answer. Cool. And I think, too, like when you think about that doctrine, um, like I said, and what I meant by what I said, um, when you have regenerate church membership, in other words, uh, to be a church member, you have to have received the new birth um, and been baptized. Um, and to believe that, it influences, I think, everything else we're going to talk about. Um, for, for example, the next thing on the list is congregationalism. Um, if you hold to regenerate church membership, um, then congregationalism is kind of the natural outworking of that, don't you think? If you hold to regenerate regenerational church membership, then congregationalism? Possibly. Maybe not. Hmm. I say that because most churches that I know of in my experience that hold to regenerational or credo baptism do not hold to congregationalism. Hmm. So... And that could be for many reasons. Historically, well, I say that 
all churches that are Southern Baptists or Baptists at some level are congregational. In other words, many churches may, the only time the congregation does anything as far as in the business of the church is vote on the pastor. Other than that, there's not much else in the business of church they have to do with. So they are congregational in that little way. Hmm. Um, so that's not true congregationalist or congregationalism. Hmm. You want to get into that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I think when I think about congregationalism, um, you know, a lot of churches claim to be congregational. Um, and, and really to be Baptist historically is to be congregational. Um, that's one of the things that makes Baptists distinct right. um, is that the members of the church are responsible for the membership and the doctrine of the church. It's not the pastor's job. It's not some other group's job. It's the membership of the church. Everybody um, has a say. Um, in that, and there's a responsibility for that. And no one outside of a Baptist church tells a Baptist church what to do. Exactly. Baptists are autonomous. They own their own buildings. They own their own properties, their own uh, materials, that kind of thing. There's no outside entity that does that. So they have full control over that. And like you said, more importantly, the doctrine and the membership of the church. Yeah. yeah. So when you think about congregationalism, um, in my mind, you know, you go to the Bible and you look at um, all the New Testament examples, you know, First Corinthians in my mind is always the first one that comes comes to mind, um, where the New Testament authors seem to expect the members to do something about the business of the church. They don't call on the elders to do something. Um, it's the members' job um, to do that. And so I think when, when I think about congregationalism, um, you know, a lot of, again, Baptist churches kind of throw around, oh, well, we're congregational. Um, but when all the... the when all that happens in a church like that is, like you said, um, maybe they vote on the pastor and maybe they vote on the budget. Mm. And that's the extent of their ministry. Right. Um, then, in my mind, a church like that is robbing its members of the great privilege and joy and sanctifying work of being a part of the business of the church. Yeah, doing the doing the ministry of the church mm. and, and having their rightful say mm. and robbing the pastors of hearing. To and doing their job as pastors, I would say as well. Um, you know, most churches, Nay, I think, hopefully, if you're listening to this and you're not a member at Harvest, that if your church functions the way we're about to talk about, maybe you would take that to your leadership and ask them. So, what I see in a lot of churches, Nate, is inside a Baptist church really being Episcopal. And what I mean by that, uh, Episcopal churches, the, the denomination of Episcopalian, they have, you know, a bishop and he oversees a, um, a, a sum of churches. Mm. And so he kind of has leadership over X amount of churches. Well, in so, that kind of is how a lot of churches that are pastor ruled, that's kind of the new hit thing for churches to be pastor ruled. Not pastor led, pastor ruled. In other words, what the pastor say is the beginning and the end. Whatever the pastor believes, that's what the church believes. Whatever the pastor makes a decision, that's what the church is going to do. The Which, final and only authority is the pastor. Really, if I'm if I'm wrong about this, please correct me. But that comes out of the non-denominational movement, does it not? Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, yeah. And and as far as inside of a local body, I mean, because Episcopalian, just to be clear, is like an outside structure. But we're just saying like certain churches function like that on the inside. Hmm. So that's a very that's that's it's new in the Baptist world. I say new. It's thirty years old. That's not something. And, you know, the reason most people do it is because it, it just, it's easy. 
It, it, um, ministry can get messy, right? It can get complex mm-hmm. when you tell members their responsibilities and you you give them the equipment, you equip them to do it, and then you have to hear what they say because they have mm-hmm. they understand their role to do it. And that can get messy, that can get complicated. Uh, and I just say, pastors, that's what God's called us to be a part of. Well, I think in my mind, it's too, easier though just to say, well, I'm going to do this and do yeah, it. no, absolutely. And I, I think that gets to to what I was going to say is that so much of our church um, ministry and experience today is designed and built around um, let's pay the professional to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we titled the podcast Big Boy Church, and we talked about in the intro youth groups. Um, so much of that movement, uh, right, when the in the 50s, when everybody comes home from the war, um, the schools and FCAs and Young Life started in schools, um, and the churches began looking at those movements and their impact and influence mm. in the schools. And churches began looking at that and going, we need that in the church. Mm. Um, and as a result, the churches that could hired youth pastors mm. to create something like that in the church, mm. um, to create a, a professional who could come in and minister to the students and you know do the youth ministry um, in the church. And that's grown today to, to where basically in most churches, essentially you have a, a separate church in the youth group. You have... A separate pastor. <laughs> you have so sad. It is so sad. You have a separate pastor. You have a separate identity. You have a separate name. You have a separate logo and deacons. Separate mission statement. Yeah, I mean separate web page. Yeah, I mean it's 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 really sad. And mm-hmm. and and then I think about uh, the the pastor led model, and I think the same thing has happened there, where the church has really shrugged off the responsibility that God intended for them to have in in ruling and making decisions for uh, the church, and have said, you know what, it really would be better if we hired a professional to do this. So instead of every member looking after the care of the children and the youth and taking responsibility mm-hmm. for being a part of the body of Christ, let's hire the professional to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got you. <laughs> and, and then we look around and we wonder, why is the church a mile wide and an inch deep? Mm. Because, I mean, when you have a, a system that's set up to where the average church member doesn't have to know what the church believes. Right. The average church member doesn't have to care about the messy situations going on in the family next to them's life. Right. And don't have to worry about their kids or help them. In no. other words, so why are so many kids leaving the church? Because they never were a part of the church. The other members never felt the responsibility to care for those youth and kids. Maybe. And in a lot of situations, the youth groups were teaching the kids to love something that wasn't church. Mm. Ooh, ow, that hurts. I mean, it's... I mean. I've been guilty of that, right? We, 100%. you know, we 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 try to make youth group this tailor made thing for for kids, and um, and then that bleeds over into the church. And next thing you know, the church is seeker sensitive, and you have people like Andy Stanley who go off this past weekend and have a conference. Um, that the whole point of the conference is to link arms with LGBTQ brothers and sisters, supposedly. I didn't. And, I was hoping we wouldn't go there, um, but we have. But here we are. Here we uh, are. I think it was kind of hard to avoid. Yeah. Um, but pastor led. Bad things happen. I think sometimes. If if North Point was confessional, maybe this wouldn't happen. Mm, probably not. Or Definitely Baptist. Not. Yeah, his daddy was Baptist. Yeah, mm. no accountability. But the whole floating around. It, it just keep going the same quote from him. I want to make church youth group mm. instead of big boy church. Let's make it little boy church yeah. and little girl church. Absolutely. But yeah. yeah, I think when you look at the Episcopal model, um, it, it's just a it's a result of. Um, Shrugging off responsibility onto, onto a professional. And let's be honest, that that's probably not the big picture 
I think the big picture, maybe even pre-COVID, but definitely post-COVID, is we're just glad to have the doors open. Like, we're just glad somebody's here. True. So we're not going to ask anybody to do anything. Mm. Like, let's just let's just keep the doors open, man. Like, mm. just glad. You know, in a way that in the early 1900s with the scope trials, you know, about evolution and creationism in schools, when that went down, and then you kind of have the fundamental movement coming out of that, where it's like all these differences we have in theology and doctrine, let's just throw those out, and mm. let's just let's just try to hold to, like, Jesus was God, and the Bible's God's Word, and He died and rose again. And amen to that. We should hold hard to that. But all the other stuff, I, it's not that important. Let's just throw it out and hold to these fundamentals, hmm. you know? Well, then, you know, we, we've done that for 60, 70 years. And then, you know, kind of COVID, you're just like, oh, let's just let's just hope to keep the doors open, hmm. you know, and, and hope somebody might show up and preach. Yeah, and I think what's sad is, you know, we talk about the, you know, youth group model for, for church. And I think what's sad is, is that, if we're being truthful, most churches are full of babes in Christ. Correct. Um, and and that doesn't mean they need uh, youth group church. It means they need big boy church yeah. um, to the bring them out of that. Needs to be raised just Absolutely. a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then I can't. The other model here that we have, you know, you have the Episcopal model, the pastor led model, um, pastor ruled model, pastor ruled model. That's fair. Um, uh, you also have like a. Uh, Presbyterian model, yeah, in Presbyterian model, and I think it's really popular in like especially our area, the rural, rural South, especially yes. um, deacon led. Um, you see family led churches a lot, which is mostly area. a deacon yeah. thing. Yeah, how do you think that came about? Yeah, I think that came about because of one of the. You could, you know, we talk about Methodists. One thing you mentioned with Methodists is how pastors kind of can come and go or get appointed. One of the sad things that can happen in an autonomous church is also a glorious thing, but also can be a negative thing. Um, the average life, uh, the average pastor stays at a Southern Baptist church less than three years. Hmm. It, three years is not a lot of time to become a pastor of people. Hmm. So somebody's got to, you know, somebody's going to rule, somebody's going to take hmm. ownership, hopefully. And deacons kind of take that responsibility over time because there's nobody else to really do it, you know, mm-hmm. kind of head of some of those families and have acted like pastors. You know, there's a saying around pastors. I don't know if you heard this. You know, when you go to a new church, heard pastor, well, you got to find out who the pastor of the church is. Mm-hmm. Like you got to find the guy or the woman there that everybody kind of looks to. And, and and that's nothing on that person. Thank God they've been willing to step up and help the church through a tough time. Mm-hmm. But that's not what God's called the church to. In other words, people not qualified to be elders, you know, not in every case. Maybe some I've seen it where the people leading in those situations were definitely qualified to be elders and pastors, but were deacons. And so I think it's not looking at the Bible as sufficient for church government. That's mm. some of that we've gotten away from. And But in the way it operates in a lot of churches is where deacons rule the church, not lead, but rule. And and, and we, we know at Harvest, we talk about deacons as serve. They serve the church. But lead or rule is really not biblical other than leading through serving, you know. And so you have deacons who kind of make the decisions in a church. They rule the church uh, when they're not, if they're really truly deacons, they're not qualified. They don't meet the qualifications in the Bible's elder, pastor, overseer, which we know is one term, one office in the New Testament church. Yeah. I think another example of this that I'm thinking of a church in specific in our area um, that I'm that I'm familiar with uh, is kind of the the board led church. I think mm-hmm. it kind of takes on the same flavor. Absolutely, where you have 
Um, maybe you have pastors and deacons, right? Mm-hmm. Who pastors are doing pastor things, deacons are doing deacon <laughs> things. But then you have this kind of ambiguous third, yeah, extra biblical body that's just like the the board of directors of the church, yeah. Um, and that's a whole other. You know what it seems like, and I can say this because it's our podcast. What seems like a nightmare, and I've heard so many churches do this when they have a board that a uh, uh, appointing committee, I think they call them. They appoint positions every year at the church. That sounds. Terrible. What? That's yeah. a thing? You've never heard that? No. Very popular. You've never heard that? Mm-mm. Oh, man. Yeah, churches all over do that. It's like the Committee on Committees. It know? is a committee. That's exactly what it is, Committee huh. on Committees. Yeah, that appoints every position, in the, every Sunday school teacher, every Jeez. cook, every every year they do that. They're mm. just going to drive the bus. Like They ask them hopefully ahead of time. Sometimes not even ahead of time. They mm. just appoint them at the meeting. I think a question about deacons comes to mind. Um, a really popular model, and I think it kind of leads into the deacon... Uh, ruled model a little bit. Um, and, and I say that because a lot of the deacon ruled churches do this where deacons are really serving more as pastors. Um, but a really popular deacon model in our day is the deacon family model. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think, I think it's a, I see that a lot. And I think it's a misunderstanding of office responsibilities. Hmm. I think it's great that deacons would be willing to oversee family care, but I think those churches need to really think who's, responsibility in the church is it that the church that families in the church are prayed for cared for looked after helped Mm, that sounds a lot like a pastor's job (laughs) to care to know the sheep care for the sheep Mm. and i think it's a bad uh reluctance of responsibility it's mm. a bad delegation of responsibilities. Mm. Uh, if your church has that kind of ministry, they probably need more elders and pastors yeah. to do that job. Or what I see in most churches, and I think this is predominantly, they el- the elders and pastors are doing the job of the deacons. Mm-hmm. They're overseeing ministries. Yeah, they're running, you know, the festivals. They're planning events. They're planning and... events. They're running the parking lot. You know, they're pastoring this. They're pastoring that. And that's what deacons should be doing. You know, Acts 6, deacons are serving the church so that the pastors can care for the sheep, know the sheep, pray, preach, teach, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So all that, to sum that up, what I'm thinking is that what we don't see in most Baptist churches in our circles that we know of, which is a very limited amount, so hopefully this is not true of everywhere. I fear it might be, but I hope it's not, is that um, in Baptist churches, congregationalism is kind of lost in our area. Mm. What you mostly see is either the pastor ruling the church or the deacons ruling the church, Mm. where what we're saying is, what we see in the New Testament, is the member's job to rule the church. It's the Mm. member's job to take responsibility for the ministries of the church, for the doctrine of the church, and the membership of the church. Mm. So if you go to a church where that's not happening, uh, you might want to get with your pastor and say, hey, can we just get together and read Galatians can we get together and read the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16 through 28? Can we get together and read 1 Corinthians, the whole thing? Yeah. I think there's definitely a right way to handle it and a wrong way to handle it. Um, yeah. and Humble, humility, yeah, I mean, if, concerning. And, and realizing that if I've learned anything in ministry, it's that uh, leading and shepherding a church is a slow and careful task. It should be. Yeah. Um, and you can't just jerk a ship. Right. Um, and I think as a church member, if you're in a church where you see problems like this, um, if you expect a pastor to turn a ship, you're, you're signing his death wish. 
Exactly. Um, you because now we're you're not, not talking about we're not talking about heretical issues here. No. We're not talking about gospel issues. We're talking about church government, which is secondary at best. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're not talking about if your church is preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, singing the gospel, missional, and church polity. Maybe you you, you maybe you're not there yet, but you come to the understanding that it's not what the New Testament has for the church, then don't disturb people over that. <laughs> you know, we shouldn't, that's not something to disturb people over. But it is something that you might want to pray about, how you can wisely and be imprudent, talk to leaders, pray with them, um, be, you know. Start the conversation. Start the conversation, but don't mm. disrupt, don't, mm. don't um, disturb, yeah. So we're not calling for church revolutions. I don't know. I kind of am. Church reformations. <laughs> just we're just saying that may take time. Okay, very good. Uh, so being Baptist, right? Congregationalism a big part of it. Um, but obviously, especially in Southern Baptist, um, you hear the word cooperation thrown around a lot. Um, how important is that to you? It's. I mean, it's what it's what it means to be a Southern Baptist church. Mm. So we can go back to that. Southern Baptists want to say they're not a denomination. Hmm. So we can talk about independent Baptist church, um, that kind of thing. And there's a sense that in, when you think of independent Baptist churches, you think of people, in a sense, who meet and are Baptists. They may have, be congregational. They may baptize, you know, be credo-baptist, but they don't cooperate with anybody else. Okay, that's kind of independent Baptist. But in the the most natural sense of the word, independent Baptists, Southern Baptist churches are independent, meaning that nobody tells any Southern Baptist church what to do. They are autonomous. So we're independent Baptist church at Harvest in that sense, but we're not independent in the sense that we don't cooperate. So um, actually, we're sitting in a moment now where hopefully this Sunday we'll be voted in as a new church in the Southern Baptist Convention hmm. here in the Tugelo Association, um, part of the Georgia Baptist, Con- whatever we're called now, Mission Board, hmm. you know, and part of, therefore, part of the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention um, exists two days out of the year when it meets together at the convention, wherever it is, whatever in the United States it meets at, and it comes together to make decisions about its entities Mm -hmm. and what the money that's given from the local churches Mm -hmm. and how that money is going to be used as we cooperate together to bring about the Great Commission in the world. So... um, the reason I enjoy being Southern Baptist is the cooperative program. The cooperative program, if you're a Southern Baptist listen to this, you don't know what the cooperative program is, you should. Um, the cooperative program is where Southern Baptist churches pull their money together, and they fund missionaries all over the world and also missionaries here at home. Uh, new church plants like ourselves, seminaries, um, different entities, all kind of stuff, but it's all Great Commission-minded. Yeah. yeah. So we can do more together than we can do individual. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I think... Part of that, the the freedom within Southern Baptist life, um, is something that we really need to remind our church members of today. And mm-hmm. I hope that if you're listening, you're reminded of today, especially given all the controversy that's gone on recently within the Baptist church. Um, you know, you have the, the sexual abuse thing that has gone on in the Catholic church um, for years now and has been widely talked about, discussed. Um, well, all of a sudden, a few years ago, that happens in the Baptist Church. The Southern Baptist Church. Southern Baptist Church, yeah. Within, Southern Baptist yeah, Convention. Uh, within churches that affiliate with the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. Um, and the response from that, to me, what it said was, you got a lot of people 
who don't understand what the convention is. Yeah. Um, 100%. You, you've got a lot of people who think that this is the Catholic church. Right. Right. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that can, you can go to the, the man upstairs and say, you need to do something about the, the church across the street. Right. And, and, and there's a lot of, there was a lot of debate over that about the executive committee, which is the committee that kind of oversees the Southern Baptist convention. When it started making rulings and deciding to do things that may not have had the power to do it. So in other words, um, the Southern Baptist Convention, it needs to be said historical when that went down. The reason the Southern that came out is because a Southern Baptist voted the year previous for that investigation to happen. Mm-hmm. So it is something we wanted to be. It, there was no law enforcement that come in and said, hey, you guys are going to be audited. No, we said we want to do this ourselves. Mm-hmm. We want to... Um, as autonomous people, we want to investigate ourselves and see what we can do better when it comes to sexual allegations and sexual assault, sexual misconduct. And so it should be, I think that's a big point, you know, and, but, and how everything kind of shook out there, you know, there's just debate over what can do and what should be done and what can be done because of the organization we are. We're not a denomination. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention cannot tell us here at Harvest how we're going to vet people we hire. They don't have the power to do that. Um, but we, you know, but what they did do was come up with recommendations. Hey, here's a, here's a, here's a database of sexual offenders. We highly encourage you to run your <laughs> people you're going to hire through that database. Yeah. You know, so it, it, no, it could they they could never say you have to do that for them to be at your church because mm. that would be an overstep. Yeah. And what? But we're on the other hand, what we can do as Southern Baptist is something we did this year at the convention, unprecedented. Where you know we we come together, we pull our money together for the purpose of missions, gospel around the world, seminaries. Um, but when you have a church that's an error, for example, Rick Warren's church, Saddleback mm-hmm. in California, um, what we can do as churches is vote to say, you know what, you're not one of us. Right. You're, you're not like us, um, and we don't want your cooperation. Yeah. Um, we didn't so. tell that church what to do. No. Um, the Southern Baptist didn't tell Saddleback Church in California, hey, you're going to do this now. You're wrong. You're going to do it. No, it just said all, all the power it has so is that you're no longer a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. So I think having that freedom as a local church um, helps the local church. It helps the cooperation. Um, and uh, it helps with missions because, um, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Harvest Baptist Church is not going to agree and, and and even the members within Harvest Church or Harvest Baptist Church are not going to agree on every single jot and tittle of, of scripture in terms of what it means. Um, and Harvest Baptist is not going to agree with uh, the next church down the road with everything. Um, but what that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that we can't cooperate together um, and have the freedom within our own churches to um, do things the way that we do them, to practice things the way that we practice them. Um, as long as it abides with the Baptist faith and message, um, while also cooperating together uh, for the purpose of missions, evangelism, seminaries, and so forth. And historically, the great thing about being autonomous is Baptists, when America, you know, before the revolution and before the, the Baptist church is everywhere because they didn't have to ask nobody if they could go plant a church. Mm-hmm. They have freedom to go do it. Yeah. You know, and it just, confessions. Mm-hmm. We're con- uh, there's more Baptist confessions than you could spend years reading mm-hmm. because uh, in the early days of Baptist world, every church just writes its own confession <laughs> because it had the freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? I-, I thought it was really interesting in uh, Virginia. Um, Emily and I went to Williamsburg uh, last year and uh, just in walking around um, Williamsburg, um, you have uh, a lot of 
um, excuse me, sorry, um, in, in Williamsburg, a lot of uh, historical churches and things like that, a lot of things about the churches there, um, and, and reading about how Baptist churches, um, first of all, in, in Virginia in that area were largely African-American churches, hmm. um, but how those churches were largely persecuted by the government um, because they just kind of showed up wherever they wanted to. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that time, Virginia was an Anglican colony, and Mm -hmm. to be a church, you had to have a license from the government. And uh, in in the area, Baptist churches would just kind of pop up, and the government would go, wait, you can't do that. You're not Anglican. (laughs) Um, But... That's the great thing about being Baptist is you and have the freedom. And that, that exact situation, right, is where we have the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. It's where we get the Bill of Rights from because mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson, not a Christian, not a Baptist or an Anglican, very atheist, deist, mm-hmm. says, wait a minute, you you can't, you, you got to quit putting these Baptists in jail. <laughs> right? There's got to, um, we came from England where there was an Anglican church where the Church of England, the Anglicans, you know, you had to be Church of England. The uh, Puritans who wanted to purify that church, um, but they wouldn't let them, so they become separatists. They separate from the church. They come to America. You know, part of those are Baptist Congregationalists. They start popping up like you're talking about. So the Anglican church there, who's now the church in Virginia, puts them in jail. Uh, we become a country, and Thomas Jefferson's like, mm, guys, do you forget that's why we, <laughs> we become a country? Yeah, let's let's read it back. So there we get a Bill of Rights and freedom of religion, and yeah. that's the true definition of church and state. I love going back separation and, of. and looking at the relationship, especially between the. Uh, the Anglicans and the Presbyterians, like literally, like I mean, we were talking about it earlier. Literally, battles, like in yeah. wars, fought between yeah. the Scots and the English over <laughs> this government. issue. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so now yeah, stuff. we're just we're kind of like yeah, it's a secondary issue, church polity, it's great. And then like three hundred years ago, they were like, yeah, let's <laughs> let's just go to war over it. Yeah, and here we are as Baptists going, ah, eh, it's not that you're boring. free to do whatever you want to do. Oh, does that make us bad Baptists, Nate? No, no, it makes us Baptists. Mm. Freedom to. To do as you please. Um, okay, so um, the next thing um, is Baptist view of the ordinances. Um, Baptists, we hold the two ordinances, baptism and Lord's Supper. Um, weirdly, some Baptists I've heard have brought in feet washing as a third ordinance. I've I see that. that. I've seen that a lot. It's see that a lot. weird. Not, I mean, I get... I don't get it. Actually, historical, not maybe, yeah, Baptist historically, but Protestants since the Reformation, Luther and Calvin in the in the Presbyterian world, there were three ordinances of the church. You know what third one is? Is it church discipline? Yes. Yeah. Church discipline. Yeah. So, um, which that's which a whole nother. Go, actually kind of go with this. We can kind of talk about Sure. Um, but when I think about being Baptist, like it's really hard, like we were saying earlier, um, to think about what does it mean to be Baptist and not think about baptism. Um, mm. I, I think we can get to the Lord's Supper, and the implications there are definitely there. Um, but being Baptist in baptism, obviously, you know, you've got the method of baptism, who you baptize. Um, what do you think about all that? Yeah. Uh, hmm. Don't lose us here. This is important. This is important. Don't static us out here. Baptism is very important. It's Baptist, but it's become kind of a flippant thing today, and I'm sad to see that and hear that. Um, where we baptize anybody that says, hey, I want to get baptized. Don't ask them what they believe about Jesus. Don't look to see if there's any fruit in their life. 
Um, and that's I think that's a sad state. Um, and it's same with the Lord's Supper. I see this so popular in our area where um, where we practice closed communion and shameless plug, as you would say, Nate, our next episode is going to be on closed communion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be fun. But where it's not just open communion, like just for Christians or close communion be called, but open communion, meaning Christians, non-Christians can take communion at church, at Baptist, Southern Baptist churches. That is anything but Southern Baptist. That's anything but Baptist, really. Um, and it, and that dates back to, yeah, Jonathan Edwards. Anyhow, so... Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to really get back, man, to what baptism is, what it represents, what it's about, what it signifies, what actually is happening in the moment of baptism. And that's another episode in of itself. Yeah. I think we've cheapened baptism. Yeah. No, absolutely. Mm. So you would say there's a problem in the Baptist church that maybe we're not even credo-baptist anymore. We're just kind of rando-baptist. <laughs> I like that. I think I'm going to use that, Nate. That's really good. <laughs> I really do, because anybody that, you know, there's kind of an old tale about um, a college evangelist who would um, hang around, you know, college campuses, and he'd hang around fountains, and when somebody come close, he would just, like, jump out of a fountain and sprinkle slow water. <laughs> and be like, now you're baptized. That's kind of what those, the Baptist church does today. Anybody mm-hmm. that want to get in the water. Are you talking about non-denominational baptism? I mean, you look online for videos of non-denominational baptism. I mean, I seen a uh, somebody sent me a sermon. I don't remember what church is in North Carolina, and I, I'm sorry for reference. I don't have the exact one here, but you just had to take my word. This is real because I've seen it. I'm a witness to it out on YouTube. Um, it was an Easter service, and the preacher got done at the invitation. He's just calling just people that come up to the altar, just baptize them right there, baptize them right there, not asking. Any questions? Not like unless there was somebody screening, maybe, you know, Off for camera. five seconds. Yeah. Hey, tell me what you believe about Jesus and the gospel. And I would just say, even that's not enough. That's called spontaneous baptism. Mm-hmm. And I think from the scripture, it's clear, as we talked about earlier, only Christians should be baptized. How do you know someone's a Christian? Well, you have to judge them. And Jesus says, we know a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. So. Confession, what do they say about Jesus? What do they say about the gospel? And do you see fruits of repentance in their life? And that takes a second. That takes time. We traveled to um, a couple, uh, I guess a year and a half or so ago, took a group of college kids down to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, this Southern Baptist church just started, and um, about a year old or so, and we're, we're helping them do some building things, that kind of deal. They were building a new facility, helping them put Sunday school rooms up. And we're asking them, how do you become a member of this church? It's very interesting. Well, you you had to first want to be a member. You had to give them what you thought was the gospel. You had to attend for six months. And then after attending for six months, um, they would talk about your baptism. And after you were baptized, and I don't exactly agree with this process, but I just think it's interesting. After they were they baptized you after six months, if you continued to be faithful to the church. After you were baptized, you had to wait another six months to become a member of the church. And what they would tell the church after the baptism was, I want you to watch their lives, and if anyone has a reason they think they shouldn't become a member of the church, you need to let us know in the next coming months. And if not, six months from now, if they're still here, they'll become a member of the church. Pretty foreign to hmm. walk up in our context, just walk up to the front of the church. Hey, I want to join the church. Maybe sign the card, maybe not. Hey, they're members of the church now. That's a totally different thing. Hmm. And I would happen to say that the one in Puerto Rico is a lot more biblical hmm. than what we see 
in most Baptist churches today. But Chris, you can get more members if you just let whoever wants yeah, to. You can, um, but you you won't have. You, look, make no doubt about it. Not every even who goes through the most rigorous membership process is not a Christian, right? You can miss it. Like we can, as we as a church try to judge people who want to become members and judge the fruit of their life and judge their confession of who they say Jesus is, we can still get it wrong. We're fallible. We're not. We don't believe we're the final authority on who's a Christian, who's not a Christian. We do not believe that's what we're doing. Um, but we can miss it. Um, but, you know, if you can get more members doing it that kind of easy kind of way in spontaneous baptism. Mm-hmm. You can get more members, that, but you will probably have a lot of members who aren't Christian. And I just want to say today, the, stati- the statistics that we have to where church members, you know, attend church maybe once a month, maybe once every two months mm-hmm. in America, that's a sad, and I would say that's because there's a ton of people on membership roles who are not Christians. Because Christians don't forsake the assembly of one another, no. um, you know. Uh, there's uh, most churches, almost all Southern Baptist churches today, have m- more people in the membership role than people that attend on a Sunday morning. Hmm. Uh, in the early days of Baptist, that was the very opposite. They had more people attend than were members. Hmm. Today, we have the very opposite. Most average churches, uh, I think, less than fifty percent of the membership will attend on a Sunday morning, and that's sad. I was saying, I talked to a guy the other day about church he attends, and he said, man, yeah, we've got a lot of members. we got like 6,000 members at our church. We really only have like 1,000 show up on Sunday, though. Mm. And it just, I mean, it just broke my heart. I wanted, I mean, didn't, I didn't know the brother that well. Didn't, you know, have the kind of relationship yeah. where I felt like I could really be like, man, you guys need to think about that. Right. Um, but, man, it's just sad that because there's, there's so many people walking around confessing Christ. Exactly. And not being a part of his church. Yeah carrying the name of Jesus, hmm. but not being discipled or held accountable or cared for in any way yeah. in the local church. Yeah. Hmm. And that's what we mean by big boy church. It is what we mean by big boy church. Yeah. And, and the last thing about being Baptist that we have on our list here um, is what we talked about last week, being confessional. Um, Baptists historically are confessional. Um, in my mind, when I think about being confessionally Baptist, my mind immediately goes to Al Mohler at the Southern Baptist Convention, standing up and going, we are a confessional people. And <laughs> uh, at the time, I honestly really, that word was still new to me. I wasn't really sure exactly what was going on there. But man, when you start looking at the history of Baptists, like you said, it seems like every church in the early 1800s was writing their own statement of faith. Right. And, um, you know, But Baptists are confessional. How yeah. important is that? So, I mean, it's endlessly important to, you know, for the for the future of your church, hmm. um, for the present right now of your church. If if your church is not confessional, you, you know, you need to say if you're visiting a church and they say, hey, we just believe the Bible. Oh, man, you got to You really need to sit down if you're going to join that church with a pastor and be like, all right, I need to know what you believe about X, X, Y, Y, Z, Z. I mean, like all these things hmm. I know what you believe about. Um because there's no confession that says this is what the church believes. Mm. So, um, I, yeah, th- th- visit our last podcast, I would say. Mm. Yeah. Shameless plug again. Yeah, shameless plug again. <laughs> well, cool, Chris. Well, <laughs> I, I'm going to delete that app. I don't even know what it is, but I'm going to get rid of it off your computer. You can't delete this app. I can't delete it? Mm. Nope. Well, that's a shame. Uh, well, listen. Um, uh, enjoy the conversation, man. Fun. So, close communion next time. Yeah, close communion next time. Someone out there listening, 
Should they be Baptist? 100%. Yes. Join the party. Should be Christian first, mm. Baptist second. Mm. Well, again, we appreciate you listening. Uh, hope that today's conversation, uh, you enjoyed it, challenged by it. I-, I hope that you heard something that you didn't know about before. And I hope that uh, it made you think a little bit. And uh, next week, like we said, when we talk about closed communion, um, it's a big deal um, in the life of our church. Um, something that we are um, proud that we do have and, uh, you know, hope that other churches would consider um, going back to this historic Baptist practice. Um, but we'll talk about closed communion next time on the Big Boy Church Podcast. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Big Boy Church Podcast. Big Boy Church is a ministry of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, you can check out our website at harvestbc.church. You can also email us at contact.harvestbc at gmail.com. We hope to have you back next time for another episode of Big Boy Church.